The Old Testament reading for today is Genesis 2, 1 through 3, that is the sermon text, and the New Testament reading is Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. Let us give ourselves now to the reading of God's most holy word. Genesis 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now let us go to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Here we read of the rest, not of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit after completing the work of creation, but specifically of the rest that Christ himself entered into after completing the work of redemption. Hebrews 1, verse 1, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature And he, Christ, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he, Christ, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So far the reading of God's most holy word. We pray that the Lord would bless now the preaching of the scriptures. Brothers and sisters, today it is very important for us to recognize that the seventh day of the creation week was the most important day of the seven, for on it God's creative activities were brought to a conclusion and were also filled with meaning. And I know that this might sound strange to you at first as you notice that nothing at all was made on day seven. One might wonder, therefore, how the day on which nothing was made can be called the most important day of the creation week. This also might sound strange if you consider that man, made in the image of God, the pinnacle of God's creation was made not on day seven, but on day six. Again, one might wonder how day seven could be called the most important day of the creation week when the most important thing in God's creation was made on the previous day. But as true as it may be that nothing was made on day seven, and as true as it may be that man made in the image of God on day six was the pinnacle of God's creation, it is also true that day seven was the most important day of the creation week. Day seven was the most important day of them all, for it was on day seven that that God's creative activities were brought to a conclusion and were filled with meaning. It was on day seven that God entered into rest. It was on day seven that God pronounced a blessing on the seventh day and made it holy. And I want for you to take special notice of this from the start. Of the seven days of the creation week, only day seven is said to have been blessed by God and set apart as holy. So truly, the creation week would have been left incomplete and unfinished without the activities of day seven. And indeed, the significance or meaning of the creation week would have been lost entirely apart from the activities accomplished by God on 
the seventh day. And brothers and sisters, all that I am now saying to you concerning the work of God in creation can and should be compared to the work of Christ in the accomplishment of our redemption. We might ask, what was the pinnacle of Christ's work of redemption? What is the high point of the accomplishment of our salvation? Uh, Was it the birth of Christ? Was that the pinnacle or high point of Christ's work of redemption? Was it his sinless life? Was it his death, his burial, his resurrection? And I would imagine that the impulse of many would be to say that the resurrection of Christ was the pinnacle event. But, as important as the resurrection was, Christ's work was not truly complete until he ascended to his heavenly throne to sit down at the Father's right hand. It was at the session of Christ, as it is called, that the work of Christ was brought to its conclusion. It was when Christ sat down at the Father's right hand that he began to rest from his labors, the work of redemption having been accomplished then in full. It was Christ seated in the heavenly realm that completed the circuit, as it were. And so true as it may be that the heavy heavy lifting of the work of redemption was accomplished by Christ in his life and in his death, in reality it was his resurrection and finally his ascension and session at the Father's right hand that brought the work of Christ to its full conclusion. Christ, the eternal Son of God, come in the flesh, descended to the lower parts of the earth to redeem those given to Him by the Father. But, having made atonement for their sins, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. That is Ephesians 4.10. Hebrews 1.3 says, After making purification for sins, that he accomplished in his earthly ministry, after making purification for sins, Christ sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The circuit, therefore, was completed. Christ came from heaven to earth to accomplish our redemption, and then from earth he ascended again to the heavenly realm, and there he sits, now resting from the work of redemption. That he has accomplished. He rules and reigns over all things there forever and ever. The session of Christ, as it is called, marked the very end of the work of Christ. Having descended to accomplish our salvation, he also ascended and entered into rest. And one can understand the true significance of the work accomplished by Christ in his life, death, and resurrection only when he considers it in light of his ascension and finally his session. We might ask the question, what did Christ do in his earthly ministry? What did he accomplish? Well, he accomplished our salvation. He conquered the evil one, sin itself, and even death. And he had bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, Philippians 2, 9 through 10. And how do we know that he accomplished these things? What act shows that he accomplished these things? We know it because he was raised from the dead, he ascended to the Father's right hand, and he was seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. 
Ephesians 1, 20 through 21. It was his ascension and session at the Father's right hand that shows us the significance and the true power of the work that he accomplished in his life and in his death. And what I am saying is that in like manner, God accomplished the heavy lifting of the work of creation on days 1 through 6. All that was made was made by God on those days. But on day 7, everything was brought to a conclusion. On day 7, God, having completed His work of creation, sat down, as it were, and rested from His work of creation. On day 7, God pronounced a blessing on the seventh day and declared it to be holy. These activities of God, accomplished on the seventh day, made clear the true significance of the work that He accomplished on the other six days. Brothers and sisters, I have five points to make today. And when all is said and done, my hope is that you will agree with me that the Sabbath was instituted by God at creation. That from the beginning, the Sabbath day held out the promise of unending rest to man made in the image of God. And that man would enter into that rest by accomplishing the work given to him by God, namely the filling and subduing of the earth to the glory of his maker. Man, even man in his upright state and in the garden, was to do something. He was to work for six days and he was to rest for one in imitation of his creator. Sabbath keeping was therefore a sign even for Adam and Eve, that they were living in submission to and for the glory of God who made them. The Sabbath day was also a type for them. The rest that they would enjoy on the Sabbath day typified or was a small foretaste and example of the eternal, consummate, full and final rest that was promised to them should they accomplish their work. And here is why I am saying that day seven was the most important day of the seven, for God's activities on the seventh day communicate all of this. God's activities on the seventh day show why it was that He created as He did on the other six days. Friends, here is the foundation for our view that the Sabbath, which is now called the Christian Sabbath or the Lord's Day, given the resurrection of Christ from the dead, is to be kept by God's people today and until Christ returns. This is the foundation. What I am saying here, what I have said and what I will say, is the foundation for our view that the Sabbath, which is now called the Christian Sabbath or Lord's Day, is to be kept by God's people today and until Christ returns. The Sabbath, the pattern of six days of work, followed by one day of rest, was instituted, pay close attention here, not in the days of Abraham, nor in the days of Moses, but it was instituted at creation by God through the activities of God on the seventh day. If it were instituted, if the Sabbath were instituted in Abraham's day, or in Moses' day, then I agree that a case could be made for the Sabbath belonging to the old covenant people of God alone, but not to those of us who live under the new covenant. Are you tracking along with me here? 
If the Sabbath was instituted, if it began in Abraham's day or Moses' day, then I can see how some would say it was for those living under the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants, the old covenant, but not for those living under the new covenant. But we must respond to this idea, which is a very prominent idea, by saying, no, the Sabbath was instituted by God when? At creation. It is therefore for all people at all times. All should worship God. Will anyone debate me on that point? All should worship God. Why? Because God is their creator. And the Lord ordained from the beginning how it is that he is to be worshipped. Man made in the image and likeness of God is to work to the glory of God and in the imitation of God for six days. And he is to rest and worship for one. This pattern is to be maintained until God's people are brought into eternal rest, into the eternal rest of God, which is so beautifully typified by the Sabbath day itself. The Sabbath is the one institution, therefore, which transcends or stretches across all of human history. Sabbath keeping unites, therefore, all of God's people living in every age. All of those who belong to God in this world are to follow this pattern instituted by God when? At creation. Six days of work followed by one day of rest. Six and one. Six and one. This pattern is to go on until the Lord returns when the rest that was typified and is typified by the Sabbath day finally comes to us in full. And so we agree with the writer to the Hebrews when he wrote to New Covenant Christians saying, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his let us therefore, he says to new covenant Christians, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, brothers and sisters, I do plan to spend a few weeks on the subject of the Sabbath. It is a doctrine that is found throughout the pages of Holy Scripture. It stretches from Genesis and carries along all the way through to the end of the book of Revelation. It is not possible to deal with the subject of the Sabbath thoroughly in one sermon. It cannot be done. But today my objective is simply to establish that the Sabbath was instituted at creation. And this very simple observation has profound implications for us today. Truth be told, most of you have grown up in church traditions that disregard the Sabbath day, the Christian Sabbath, which is now called the Lord's Day, altogether. I know that of you. It was true of me. But after studying the Scriptures much more carefully, I think it is important for us to come to this conclusion. A Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. It is to be kept until the end of time when the Lord returns and ushers in His people into the rest that is symbolized and typified by the Sabbath day itself. So here are five points for today. Let us remember, brothers and sisters, first of all, that God took six days to create the heavens and earth and entered into rest on the seventh, not for Himself, but for man. He created the heavens and the earth as He did, 
in six days' time, and entered into rest on the seventh, not for himself, not because he needed to do it this way, but for man. In other words, God did not need six days to create all things seen and unseen. This has been said before, but could have created in an instant. Therefore, we should never say that it took God six days to create the world, but instead, we should say that God took six days. And he did so for our sake. He chose to create progressively in six days' time in order to reveal truth to man made in his image. Also, it should be obvious to all that God did not need to rest on the seventh day. God was not fatigued at the end of the sixth day. He was not panting. He, was, he did not perspire when he made the heavens and the earth. Uh, This is exactly what the prophet Isaiah says, and I want you to listen to the theme of creation that permeates what the prophet Isaiah says. Here, Isaiah 40, verse 28, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And note this, He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. In fact, so powerful is He, That he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be wearied. They shall walk and not faint. Why can we depend upon God in this way to strengthen us? Well, it is because his strength, his power is infinite. He does not faint or grow weary. And notice that this God was introduced by the prophet at the beginning of this passage as the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. It's almost as if the prophet is wanting to say, don't misunderstand the creation week. Don't misunderstand day seven. Don't misunderstand God's rest. He entered into rest, not because he was weary, but he entered into rest for our sake so that we might learn to find our strength in him. We are to rest in Him. We are to be encouraged in Him. We are to be built up in Him. This was the purpose for the Sabbath day from the beginning. God does not faint or grow weary. He does not need rest. When the Scriptures say that God rested on the seventh day, we are to understand that God simply ceased from His work of creation and He did immediately transition into His work of providence. He now upholds the world. That he made. And he rested not because he needed rest, but for our sake, so that we might learn to find our rest and our strength in him. Similarly, when God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, he did so not for himself, but for man. And so he took six days to create the heavens and the earth. He entered into rest, not for himself, but for man. And also, when God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, he did so not for himself, but for man whom he made in his image and likeness. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. When did he do this, brothers and sisters? At creation, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God the time of creation, pronounced a blessing on the seventh day, but he did so not for himself, but for man. 
Now, this is not the first time that God pronounced a blessing on something in the creation week. Earlier, we saw that God blessed the sea creatures and the birds, saying to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth, Genesis 1.22. And God also blessed man. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. But here, in the text that is before us today, God has found blessing, not a living creature, but a day. In the two other instances, God is pronouncing blessings upon living creatures, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and ultimately man. They are blessed by God. Man is blessed supremely by God, being given dominion over all things. But here in our text for today, uh, God is heard blessing not a creature, but day seven. At the time of creation, the first six days of the week were designated, therefore, as ordinary or common days, but the seventh day was blessed by God, and it was also designated a day that is holy. It was a day that was set apart by God as distinct. Uh, That is what the word holy means. It means to be set apart. And the seventh day was blessed by God so that man would be blessed in the honoring of the seventh day as a day for rest to cease from labor, to give worship and thanks to God. The day was blessed not for God, but for man to be blessed in it, and it was set apart as holy, as distinct from the other days of the week. Man was to cease, therefore, from the ordinary, from his ordinary work, and he was to engage in that which is holy. This was true even for Adam and Eve as they lived in paradise And so do you see, therefore, and this is the third point for today, that the six days of creation, followed by one day of rest, provided a pattern for man made in the image of God to imitate. Why did God create in six days and enter into rest on the seventh? He did so to provide a pattern for man to imitate. God did not need six days to create. God did not need to rest, but God took six days to create these realms and to fill these realms with rulers or creature kings. And he did this as a pattern for man. Remember that man was made in the image of God and in the likeness of God. Uh, That fact alone suggests that man is uniquely equipped from amongst all of God's creatures to imitate his maker being made in his image and in his likeness. And so here is the pattern for man to imitate. Man, having been made in the image of likeness of, and likeness of God, was to do his work of creation in imitation of God. And what I mean by that is that man was to procreate. He was to fill the earth just as God filled the realms that he had created. Man was to exercise dominion over the world, just as God has dominion over all things. And then we ask the question, well, how is he to go about accomplishing this work? Is he to work continuously without any rest at all? Is he he to go on and to exert himself in a way where he is autonomous from God? Is Is it left just to him to accomplish this work? No. But instead, like God accomplished his work, man was to work six days and he was to rest for one, just as God worked six days and rested on the seventh. This man was to do until his work of filling and subduing was accomplished. 
So this pattern is provided for man. It's provided by the word of God, but it's provided even before that by the example of God in creation. So Adam, even in the garden and before his fall into sin, was to approach the seventh day as a blessed and holy day. On that day, he was to cease from his work to give special worship to the God who made him. And Eve also was to follow this pattern. So too were their descendants to follow this pattern. If their descendants would have been born in Eden, they would have followed this pattern. Certainly they were to follow it after their fall into sin. That man was made to imitate God is very clear from Genesis 1. Man was made in the image and likeness of God so that he might imitate God. Man was given work to do similar to the work God had done. Man was to procreate. He was to fill the earth. He was to exercise dominion. Man's work was to mirror God's work. He was to work six and rest one, approaching the seventh day as a blessed and holy day according to the word of God. But all of this becomes exceedingly clear, this idea that man was to imitate God in his work. Uh, When the law of God was given to Israel through Moses thousands of years later, all of this becomes exceedingly clear there. Uh, The law of God, written upon man's heart at creation, was delivered to Israel on two tablets of stone in the form of ten commandments. Remember that the first four commandments have to do with man's relationship to God. This is how man is to approach God. This is how man is to worship God. And the last six commandments have to do with man in relation to man. Uh, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, so on and so forth. Commandment 1 states that God alone is to be worshipped. This is the most basic and fundamental thing. Man is to worship, but he is to worship God alone. Commandment 2 forbids the use of idols in the worship of God. Do not confuse the Creator with His creation. Do not reduce God down to the things of this world, and to pretend that he is one with them. Commandment three prohibits man from bearing or using the name of God in an empty and vain way. And then commandment four explicitly states that man is to work six days and rest one. This is the way that God is to be worshipped. It was true prior to the days of Moses, but under Moses this moral law, which had existed in the world from the time of creation, was written on stone and summarized there. Here, Exodus 20, verse 8. There we read the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who was, is within your gates. Did you notice what the reason was for the commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy. That was very poorly stated. And what was the reason given for the command to keep the Sabbath day holy is what I meant to ask. Verse 11, the word for clues us in. Keep the Sabbath day holy. For, here is the reason, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In other words, you are to do this as God's people, in imitation of what God did when he created the heavens and the earth. You're to mimic God's activities here. And as you imitate God, you are showing that you are living in submission to your God. You are showing forth that indeed you are taking your proper place, giving honor to the God who made you. You are acknowledging that he is creator, you are creature. 
and that he has created you for a purpose, and therefore you work and rest in imitation of him. Uh, The command to keep the Sabbath day holy was not new to Moses and to Israel. It was instituted when, brothers and sisters? At creation. It was not new to Moses and to Israel. Indeed, the Sabbath was instituted at creation, and it was kept by God's people in the world up until the days of Moses. And though it is true that not much is known about the people of God from the days of Adam to the days of Moses, the scriptures do provide us with some information on this point. For example, the children of Adam and Eve knew how to worship. In Genesis 4.3, and this is after the fall into sin and after everyone has been banished from the garden, Adam and Eve, now their children are being born outside of Eden. In Genesis 4.3, we read, In the course of time, do you hear that? In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Uh, A lot can be said about this text, and certainly a lot more will be said about it when we come to it in our study of the book of Genesis. But here, I simply wish to draw attention to the phrase, in the course of time. Cain and Abel knew to bring sacrifices to the Lord as an act of worship, and they knew, knew to do so at an appointed time. Where did this idea come from? Well, it was established by God at creation. I think it is also interesting to note that Israel, the people of Israel, having been rescued out of Egypt, were keeping the Sabbath day prior to the giving of the Ten Commandments. Are you tracking along with me here? They were keeping the Sabbath day, at least some of them were, prior to the giving of the Ten Commandments. Those who say that the, ten, that the Sabbath day was invented or instituted at the giving of the Ten Commandments miss this fact. Uh, the, the, the giving of the Ten Commandments are recorded for us in Exodus chapter 20. But in Exodus 16... In the passage about God providing manna from heaven for the people of Israel, we find out that Israel was honoring the Sabbath day, and this prior to the giving of the Ten Commandments. Remember that the people were instructed to gather a day's worth of manna each day and no more. There they are wandering in the wilderness and they do not have food and God begins to provide food for them from heaven and instructions were given to them, gather a day's worth and no more. What would happen to that manna if they gathered more than a day's worth? It would spoil and rot and begin to stink, right? What are the people being taught to do, therefore, except to daily depend upon the Lord for their daily bread? But listen to Exodus 22, and listen to it carefully. Exodus 16, 22. On the sixth day, right? On the sixth day, the day before the Jewish Sabbath. On the sixth day, the people gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. Had they been, been commanded to do that? They hadn't. And it, it's proven here. And when the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, in other words, the people are doing this. They're out gathering two days worth of bread on the sixth day. In other words... What do you think about it, Moses? Should they be doing it? Here is what Moses said to them. This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over, let 
uh, lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink. In this instance, it had all the other days, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find in it, it today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my law? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So I want you to notice what is going on in this text, and and I want you to take note of it very carefully. Moses did not at first command Israel to keep the Sabbath day, but that some within Israel simply knew to keep it. That is what is going on here. Some within Israel simply knew to keep it. And as some naturally, we will say, honored the Sabbath day without Moses first commanding it, the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, and it was then that Moses said, this is right. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord, etc., etc. In other words, Moses did not invent the Sabbath day in that moment, but confirmed that it was right that the people keep the Sabbath, for it was a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord, and it had been from the creation of the world. Number four, it should be clear to all, therefore, that the Sabbath was instituted by God, not in the days of Moses, but at creation. This is the fourth point of the sermon, but it is also the point of the sermon, which has been made over and over again. Indeed, the Sabbath is as old as creation. The Sabbath is as old as creation. The Sabbath was to be kept by Adam and Eve and their descendants in the garden. It was to be kept by the righteous line that proceeded from Eve outside the garden. It was to be kept by God's people in the days of Abraham and in the days of Moses, and it is to be kept by God's people today. Indeed, all should keep the Sabbath day, which today is called the Lord's Day. We should not be surprised, though, to find that those without faith do not keep it, but we should be surprised to find those who claim to be God's people neglecting the Lord's Day, which is the Christian Sabbath. Brothers and sisters, the moral principle at the core of the Sabbath commandment is that the Creator is to be worshipped by His creatures. When God created in six days and rested on the seventh, He, by His actions and also by His word of blessing and declaring the day holy, gave a positive command to worship Him in this way and according to this pattern. What is the unchanging moral principle at the core of the Sabbath commandment? Worship God. But here, God adds something to that moral principle when He created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. We are to worship God in this way and according to this pattern. Six days of work followed by one day of rest. It is a blessed day. It is a holy day and has been from the time of creation. Fifthly, let us recognize that the Sabbath had symbolic force from the beginning. It symbolized, first of all, God's rest from His work of creation, but it also typified the rest that man was to enter into after completing the work that God called him to accomplish. I want you to pay special attention here 
to point five. The Sabbath has symbolic force. It points to God's rest, and it also looks forward to and typifies the rest that man was to enter into, having completed the work that God gave him to accomplish. Symbols point to things as they are now. God finished his work of creation and entered into rest on the seventh day, and the Sabbath day has always symbolized this reality. Where is God? He is resting in heaven from his work of creation, and he is exercising providence. The Sabbath day should remind us of that present reality. But types are also symbolic, but they look forward to something. Types also are symbolic, but they look forward to something. They point forward to things yet to come. A prototype, as you know, you're probably more familiar with that word. A prototype is an example of something that will be made when? In the future. Uh, The Sabbath day is a type of the rest to be enjoyed by God's people at the end of the age. The Sabbath day is a foretaste of the rest to be enjoyed by God's people in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, it might have seemed strange to go from a study of the book of Revelation to a study of the book of Genesis. It was quite deliberate, though. I think it is very helpful to start with the end and then come to the beginning. Because there at the very end of the book of Revelation, what did we see but a picture of eternal rest. New heavens, new earth, God's glory filling all, the people of God caught up in the glory of God. No unpure thing. That thing that was shown to us at the end of the book of Revelation, that reality is what the Sabbath day was typifying, was pointing forward to from the very beginning of time. It was as if the Sabbath day was even for Adam, calling out Adam, saying, Adam, work, and then enter into that rest. Work and enter into that rest enter into God's rest, enter into eternal rest, consummate rest, full and final rest. Adam, work and enter into that rest. The Sabbath day is symbolic. The present reality is that God is resting now in heaven, having finished His work of creation. He now providentially reigns and rules. But the type, the the type that is embedded within the Sabbath day is that there is a rest that man is to enter into in the future. And so you are to see, therefore, that rest, eternal unending rest, was offered to Adam in the garden. Adam had to do work, didn't he? He was created upright, he lived in paradise, but he had a job to do. He was to rest one day out of seven while accomplishing that work. But that day of rest typified the eternal rest that he was to enjoy forever and ever once he had completed his task. God finished his work and entered into rest. Adam was to finish his work and enter into his rest, having earned it. Later in Genesis 2, we will see that God entered into a covenant with Adam. We call this covenant the covenant of works, the covenant of life, or the covenant of creation. Either of those terms are just fine. Uh, These are good terms, for Adam had to work to keep this covenant. He would have earned life had he kept it. And this covenant was made shortly after the creation of man. So it was the covenant of works, the covenant of life, or the covenant of creation. And you remember that there were two trees that functioned as sacraments or symbolic things in this covenant. What were the two trees? The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we will talk about these things extensively when the time comes, but for now notice that the thing typified by the tree of life, hear this, the thing typified by the tree of life 
and the thing typified by the Sabbath are the same. The Sabbath day pointed forward to eternal rest that Adam was to enter into, having accomplished his work, and the tree of life pointed forward to that higher form of life that Adam was to enjoy, having accomplished his work. They are different things that emphasize different things, but they point to the same thing ultimately, the consummate and glorified state. The tree of life pointed forward to a quality of life not yet enjoyed by Adam and Eve in the garden. They were living, and they were upright. It's right that we call Eden paradise. But they could fall. And they, had they eaten of the tree of life instead of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would have entered into and enjoyed that higher form of life. They would have entered into glory. And similarly, the Sabbath day pointed forward to a higher form of life. Life characterized by unending rest. And had Adam faithfully finished his work, he would have entered into that rest. He would have entered into what the scriptures elsewhere call glory. And so do you see, therefore, that there is a kind of gospel call embedded within the Sabbath day? There is a kind of gospel call embedded within the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, when it is rightly understood and rightly observed, calls us to look forward to eternal rest. This was true for Adam and Eve, but it is especially true for those of us living now after man's fall into sin. Adam was called by God and by the Sabbath day instituted by God to enter into rest, and so are we. The Sabbath day points forward. It holds out the promise of future rest by giving us a taste of it now. Those of you who do observe the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, and keep it holy, don't you taste something of it? What do we do on this day? We gather with God's people to worship His name. We enjoy His blessing on this day. We enjoy the presence of His Holy Spirit on this day. We enjoy fellowship with one another. We get to cease from our normal labors. We get a little bitty taste of what the eternal state will be like. It's such a small taste of it. But it is such a good thing to taste, isn't it? It reminds us that a day is coming where we will enjoy life like this to the full, to the full. Adam was called by God to enter into that rest, uh, but we should remember and never forget that the way for Adam and Eve to enter that rest, that is prior to their fall into sin, and the way for us to enter into that rest now that man has fallen couldn't be more different. Adam and Eve in the garden were to enter into that full and final and consummate rest, how? By working. They were to finish their task. They were to fill the earth. They were to subdue it, to have dominion over it. This they were to do faithfully, six and one, six and one. And having kept God's covenant, they would have entered into rest. But Adam and Eve, after the fall, along with their descendants, including you and me, can only enter into that rest by trusting in another, namely Jesus the Christ. Why is it that we can trust in Him and enter into this rest Well, it is because Jesus finished His work, didn't He? He finished His work. He kept God's law fully to the end. He accomplished God's purpose for Him. And having atoned for the sins of His elect by His death, He rose from the grave, conquering death, and He ascended to the Father's right hand. And what did He do when He got there? He sat down. He entered into 
rest. Christ, the second Adam, has entered into rest, and all who are united to him by faith will also enter into the rest that he has earned in the new heavens and new earth. This is the rest symbolized by the Sabbath day, which was instituted by God when? Again, at creation. At creation. I want you to listen to Hebrews 4, 1 through 2, and also 6 through 11. I can't take any time to elaborate on this text, but just listen to it. The writer of the Hebrews beautifully and and, and rather extensively makes a case for ongoing Sabbath keeping by the people of God under the new covenant. But listen to this text. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, in other words, I might ask, have we entered into the fullness of this rest yet? No. The promise, promises are made concerning what? things future, the promise of entering his rest still stands, and let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, that is to the old covenant saints, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. He again points a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, Joshua being the one who took over for Moses, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. In other words, that wasn't rest. That wasn't it. That wasn't the fullness of the rest when Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land because he speaks of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore, he says to new covenant Christians, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Brothers and sisters, the more I study the doctrine of the Sabbath, the more convinced I am that we ought to keep the Sabbath day holy. We are not called to keep the Jewish Sabbath, which is on Saturday. It was. But now that the Christ has come, has risen on the first day and has entered into rest, we keep the Sabbath on Sunday, the first day of the week, for He is risen. He is risen indeed. We are to say that not once a year, but each Lord's day in our hearts We do not keep the Old Covenant Sabbath in, but the Lord's Day, which is the Christian Sabbath. And all of this we're going to discuss more thoroughly at another time. But for now, please recognize that the pattern of six and one, six and one, six and one, remains. How could it not, is the question I would ask of you. How could it not remain? For we have not yet entered into the rest, symbolized and typified by that day from the beginning of time. Sabbath day from the beginning pointed forward to eternal and consummate rest. Do we have it yet? No. Have we tasted of it? Yes. Through our risen Savior. We've tasted of it. It's the reason the day moved. But the pattern of six and one remains because we have not yet entered into the rest symbolized and typified by that day from the beginning of time. Uh, Friends, here is the point. The Sabbath day is a blessed day. The Sabbath day is a holy day. All who belong to God should honor it. And I do trust that we will be blessed when we do. It has been a great encouragement to me, brothers and sisters, to experience this myself, to experience it with my family, and to talk with with many of you who have began to honor the Lord's day as the Christian Sabbath. You say, what a blessing it is to put away 
that, that ordinary work, to rest from it and to give attention to God and to the people of God on earth, how refreshing it is when we do so, we are essentially saying, God, I trust you that you are going to provide for me as I labor here on earth. Not only do I trust you, but I trust Christ who died and who was buried and who rose again. And so we gather together on the Lord's Day on Sunday and we say, He is risen. He is risen indeed as an act of worship before Him and as a declaration that indeed we do do go on trusting in Him. There's so much more to say, of course, but may the Lord help us to understand these things and to keep these things in the weeks and years and decades to come, all to the glory of our great God and King. Let us bow for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have called us to worship you through Christ Jesus, our risen Lord. And we thank you also that you have not left us without guidance and direction concerning the proper worship of you. Father, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters in Christ that we would give attention to your holy word, that we would submit to it. Father, that we would keep it and obey it even when we don't feel like it, even when it is difficult simply because you have commanded it. But Father, I do pray that either now or in the process of time, that the Sabbath day, the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's day, would be approached by us as a tremendous blessing. Lord, may we delight in it, may we take joy in it, may we be refreshed by it. Lord, if it is not the case now, if our approach to this day is begrudging, I pray you would change us to the heart by the power of your word and your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name that we say these things. Amen.